Good morning and welcome back. Over the last six weeks, we've been looking at this idea of what is God doing in the now, in this moment? This is the question that everyone asks. This is the conversation we've all had with our neighbors. What's going to happen next? When is it going to happen? As a church, the posture that we've been attempting to have is to look to God in terms of, God, what are you doing now? What can we learn now? And how do we engage with what you're doing now? And today I want to look at the subject of worship. And I want to make this statement loud and clear. I believe we can worship now. When I think of worship, I think about going to church. When I was young, uh, we always went to church. It was something that my parents did, their parents did. It was something that just happened. I was kind of made to go to church. I have wanted to go fishing. Uh, and many of my friends also had interest in sports. But our family's commitment and uh, direction of travel was, we're going to go to church. I remember I would want to fish at the weekend and fish all night on Saturday night into Sunday. And I was allowed to do that, but my dad would pick me up from the lake early Sunday morning because we went to church. At the time, I didn't always get there. At the time, I wanted to stay at the lake. But in hindsight, I'm so grateful that my parents put the importance of faith and discipleship and Christian community ahead of my aspirations for sports or fishing. I'm so grateful for that. As a parent now, I'm challenged by the fact that I want to do everything I can for my children to know and to love Jesus. And church aids in that. It plays a part in that. It doesn't it make me exempt of my responsibility to love them and teach them the way of Jesus, but it helps. So I'm so glad for that. I know some people, and when they think about going to church, they talk about putting church clothes on or dressing differently. And then when they come home from church, they take the church clothes off and they put their normal clothes on. Uh, it's as if they put church on and then they take church off. And there's something not right about that because I believe that church is more than just an event or an experience or something that we put on and then take off. I believe it's more than that. And I believe worship is more than that. And today I want to unpack that. We're going to look at lots of scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament in terms of what is this thing called church and why do we worship? For me, there was a moment in my late teens when I had an experience with God where it wasn't just because I was told to go or because that's what we did on a Sunday, but there was a moment where I prayed, God, if you're real, show me. And he revealed himself to me in a way that really made sense for me. And in that moment, I found God. And at the same time, I found others who were finding God. And that's the community of people. And that's what church is. So that's, that's why we gather. But why do we worship? And why do we sing? And what does it mean? I want to look at that subject this morning from a practical and from a biblical idea. And I want to make the statement that I believe that we can worship now. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me. We're in the Old Testament at first. We're going to start with an introduction. Why worship? Psalm 95. And then we're going to be reading verses 1 to 7. And it says this, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. This passage kind of introduces the idea of worship by answering the question of why do we worship and who do we worship? We worship because the Lord brings about salvation. We were lost and God saves us. The Lord is great. He is the God above all gods. Everything belongs to him. He created. He breathes life and possibility. And he is our God. And it ends with this invitation. Today, if only you hear his voice, we can hear his voice. And that's worth worshiping. I believe that everyone worships. And some people maybe don't know that they're worshiping. But I believe that everyone worships. I'm going to show you some Photos that can appear on the screen. Here's the first one. Sports. People worship. People celebrate. People sing. People clap. People cheer. There's the first photo. Or the second photo. When a baby is born, there is a moment, if you've ever witnessed a baby being born, where there is this sense of wonder and beauty. It's this wow moment. Or if you've ever seen a sunset. A beautiful sunset. When you stare at a sunset, often I feel quite small. It kind of gives me some perspective. I look at this wow and wonder. And no one looks at an incredible sunset and says, I'm awesome. We look at a sunset and we think, wow, there is something bigger than ourselves, And that is truly awesome. I believe that everyone worships. In the New Testament, there's a story of Jesus on Palm Sunday riding into Jerusalem. And people just burst into song along the street. And some people take offense because is this the right place for this kind of singing and worship? And Jesus said, if they don't, nature itself will burst into song. The rocks will cry out. It is as if there is something in all of creation which is made to worship. So what do we worship and why do we worship and where do we worship? These are some of the questions I want to explore and unpack this morning. The word worship in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there is two different words. The Hebrew is the Old Testament and the Greek is the New Testament, but the meaning is the same. The meaning of the word worship, it speaks of awe and wonder and mystery, like the sunset where we are wowed by something bigger than ourselves. And the meaning and the time when you see this, this sense of worship in Scripture is it always provokes a response. Like the person in the stadium that cheers or the wow when the baby's born or the sunset. There is a response in the observer. And it moves us. It changes us. There is this Old Testament king called David who was so moved by the power of worship to God and how good God was that some people considered it almost undignified. But worship in its truest form 
is both wonderful and inspiring and connects with us in a sense of awe, but it moves us and it triggers a response. Worship always triggers a response. And it's more than just singing. Yes, it is singing. Yes, there are times when we find ourselves so moved that words just come out of us. I was training this week. I've got an elliptical at home and I was listening to some music. And sometimes when you've got headphones on, you find yourself singing, but you don't know you're singing, but the other people in the room do. There are times when we are moved to song and that's an appropriate response. But worship is more than just singing. In scripture, there are some key lessons about worship and the kind of worship that God requires. And God makes it quite clear, and I'm going to read these passages. I'll make this really clear. Worship is about our lifestyle as well as our songs. Worship is not honoring to the Lord unless it leads to obedience and changes all of us. If we sing and say something of our words, but our actions are far from God, it's not true worship. And as so often is the case, the heart for God leans in the direction of the poor. And where there is a lack of justice, God wants justice. Often when we consider the idea of worshipping or seeking God, one of the things that we sometimes consider, and it's popular, especially in the Old Testament, is fasting. Which means to go without something in the pursuit of something else. Often we may miss a meal and instead of eating, we spend time praying and worshipping. This is a good pattern, and at times God calls and invites us to seek him more, and fasting is part of that. But in the context of worship, they go together. I want to look at two passages that portray something of God's heart for justice and worship, and that the two can't be separated. The Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, Isaiah 58, we're going to read verse 4 to 8. It says this. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only for a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for one for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide poor and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to overturn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will appear. A similar passage, Old Testament book of Amos, Amos 5 verse 21 to 24. Again, this is God speaking through people. God speaking about worship and justice and the importance of how the two are intertwined. This is a powerful passage. This is God speaking. And he says this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, 
I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But, and I like the but, let justice roll like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. God continually teaches us that worship is about our heart, our actions, as well as our songs. It's important that as a worshiping community, we are also a community that cares for groups of people who have suffered unfairly, for orphans, for widows, for the unborn, for ethnicities who always seem to get a bad deal. Worship is song and is action and justice go together. I never want to hear this Amos away with the noise of your songs because your hearts are far from me. Worship is both. So where do we worship? Where does worship take place? Second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, tells the story of this structure, this building, this sacred place called the temple. And God gave the description of how the temple should be built, how it should be assembled, how people should gather, how people should worship. And it's really clear laid out. And in Exodus 40, Verse 34 to 35, there is this moment where God feels the temple and God's presence fills the temple. And it says this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses, who was God's leader at the time, could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord had filled the space. The temple was sacred. It was really sacred. It was very, very special. But the temple in itself wasn't holy. The temple in itself was a structure. And even though God was clear in how it should be assembled and built, and there was an outer court and an inner court, the temple in itself wasn't holy. There's this moment that we've just read at the end of the book of Exodus where God's presence fills the temple and in that moment, when the temple is filled with the presence of the God, then it's holy. And it's so holy that people can't go near it because we're so not holy. And God is so holy that there is this coming together, which is not possible at this moment in history. There's this outer court and inner court. And there's one day a year where the high priest can enter. It's a sacred, special place. Remember that. Remember the importance and the sacred, special place of the temple. In the New Testament, Jesus walks into the scene. In the first book of the New Testament, the book called Matthew, Jesus says to somebody, and remember what I just said about the temple. Jesus says, someone greater than the temple is here. Matthew 12, verse 6. Someone greater than the temple is here. To the Jewish nation who had this temple experience, this is an astounding comment. 
And Jesus is saying, it's him. Jesus is greater than the temple. The New Testament book of Hebrews describes Jesus as the great high priest. There was this high priest who could enter the temple only once a year. Jesus is the great high priest, and he's greater than the temple. He's here. He's present in the now. And Jesus is making the temple possible and present in the now for us too. We worship not because of a religious tradition or a sacred space, but because of what Jesus has made possible by being the ultimate high priest. But there's this conversation that continues to happen, and it happened in Jesus' time. Where do we worship? Where do we go? John 4, the New Testament book, gives us a glimpse of this story. In John verse 4, verse 20 to 24. We read a story, a conversation between Jesus and a woman that he meets at a well. This is this. This is the woman speaking to Jesus. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus is this. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will neither worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. He's referring to the Old Testament story of God's revelation that is widening to all people. And then he says this. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. A time is coming and has now come, and it isn't about the temple or this site or this space. But God is looking for true worshipers in spirit and in truth, and it isn't about buildings or sites or facilities or spaces. It's about people. Later, New Testament writers wrote in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, kind of unpacking and explaining this more. They said, do you not know that your bodies are now the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and who you've received from God? The temple that was this sacred space where God's presence dwelt is now with us. And actually, it was always about people. It was never about places. It was always about people. God's desire was that he would be one with people. That was always the orientation of the heart of God would be that relationship would be close, that he would be with people and people would be with God. And Jesus makes this possible. And Jesus says, it isn't about a temple or a hill or a special city, but it's about people. You have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus makes this possible. We can enter the holy place. We can experience God and we can worship now. There are some places in the world where freedom is not possible. 
but yet they still worship. Let me give you some examples. In North Korea, if you are found to be worshipping Jesus, you will either be killed or entrapped in a labor camp. The punishment for your actions will be dealt down four generations of children and family members. Despite this, it is guesstimated that there are between 200 and 400,000 people worshipping and following Jesus in North Korea at this time, many of them in concentration camps. If they worship, then we can worship now. In Afghanistan, which is an Islamic state, it is illegal to convert from Islam. If you do, you may well find yourself in a mental hospital, or you'll be beaten, or or you'll be killed. But yet in this context, Christians meet, they smuggle Bibles, and they worship. If they can worship, we can worship now. In Somalia, it's roughly 99% Muslims, and their goal is to eradicate Christianity. On-the-spot executions are common. But yet in that country and in those communities, Christians meet in secret. They smuggle Bibles, they pray, and they worship. If they can worship, we can worship now. We haven't lost our freedoms. It is true this year there have been restraint on buildings and spaces. And there's some good news in that there's some adjustment coming, which is well-timed as we approach the colder weather. But I want to make this comment to you. It was never about a building. It was never about a location. The temple is us. It's people. And God makes this possible through Jesus. That we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we can worship now. Some practical ideas. Gather around a fire pit. Play some music on YouTube. Meet with friends, worship, pray, meet on your own. I told the story of finding myself singing as I was training on an elliptical this week. Gather in groups, small groups, watch the Sunday service together in a kind of circle environment and pray for each other. Or join some of the other gatherings. We've had outdoor gatherings once a month. We are, as we approach the winter weather, looking at options in terms of how we can meet inside. We can worship now. I want to end by reading a passage. I won't put it on the screen. The passage in many ways sums up the story that we've looked through, Scripture, which talks about the presence of God that makes the temple holy. And then Jesus saying that he's more powerful than the temple and what he's doing through people makes us the temple. I want to read this passage to you. Almost in summary, to bring this together, Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, no one's excluded, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened For us, through the curtain that is his body, 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the time as you see the day of the Lord approaching. We can worship now. So come. Come on in. The restrictions that existed have been moved and Jesus has torn it wide open. We are the temple and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We can worship now, anywhere, everywhere and always. So today, now, may I invite you that we can worship now. And with that in mind, I'm going to invite Rox and Lewis and Luke to rejoin us and to lead us in song. Aware that song is a crucial part of our worship. But may I encourage you that worship is more than song. It's justice, it's spirit, it's truth. And Jesus makes it possible for all of us. So join us as we worship now. <laughs> 